seated. All right, y'all ready for part two? Y'all? <laughs> I'm ready for part two. But before we get into part two, for those of you who weren't here last week or you don't remember everything from last week, we're going to do a quick recap of part one. What are we recapping? Well, if you weren't here, we're talking about breaking the cycle. What does that mean? Believe it or not, we all live in a cycle. And that cycle is a result of the sin in our life. I learned this through my own experience of going through Celebrate Recovery. Years ago, back in 2009 or so, I went through the Celebrate Recovery program, and my sponsor told me, you're living your life in a cycle. You don't realize it, but it's affecting every area of your life. The goal, he said, is not to just get you out of the cycle. We need to figure out why you're in it in the first place. What got you there? What is the reason that started you in this cycle in the first place? Because once we can figure out the reason, when God reveals that, that's going to go back to the source, and then we'll work our way out of this cycle. To understand the cycle, one of the things that we did last week is we talked about Sin and sin sickness and where it comes from. Because we need to understand the origin first. We need to understand what, you know, what is sin, how does it affect me, and how does that get me into this cycle. Because you know, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians that we should not be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. You know, the illustration I used for that last week was the aspect of a football team. You know, a football team is not ignorant of the schemes of their opponent. You know, they study the offense and defensive schemes of the opponent so they can find a weakness, exploit that weakness, and find the key to victory to beat their opponent. Well, in the spiritual side of things, we need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. And we need to be aware of what those schemes are, find the weakness, exploit that as the key to victory. And there is a weakness, and there is a key, and we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about how God breaks that cycle in our life. But in order to get that point, I want to do a quick recap so we're all back on the same page of where this starts. So I'm not going to redraw everything. I'm just going to go over what we did last week. All right. This here represents us, okay? We all have a body, a soul, and a spirit. We're all familiar with the body, okay? The soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, okay? It's us. It's our personality. It's who we are. You know, this isn't me. I'm on the inside. You know, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, what's present with the Lord is not the body at this point. It's the soul and the spirit. Eventually, the body will be present in, in, the, in the second coming. But for now, that's this part, the soul. Now, in the middle is the spirit. If you're born on earth, every single person born on earth is born with a spiritually genetic disease the Bible calls sin. Everybody is born with that. So if you're not born on earth, okay, just checking. That means you're born with a spiritually genetic disease called sin. And that sin infects the way you think, the way you feel, 
in the way you act, your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what these, you know, the sin is in the middle there. It starts infecting, and the little X's are the infection. One of the illustrations I use is sort of like the fish in the fishbowl. You know, the fish, when the fish is in the fishbowl, looks through the water to the world outside. But if you've ever been underwater and looked up through the water to the world outside, it looks distorted. But to the fish, the fish doesn't know it's distorted because that's the only perspective the fish has. We know it's distorted because we live outside the water, but when we go in the water, we can see it's distorted. But the fish has no reference to that. As far as the fish knows, the distortion is reality. What the fish needs is somebody on the outside of the water to reveal to the fish what is real. That is not distorted. Well, we're the fish in the fishbowl. And we're not in water, we're in sin. And sin has distorted everything that we see. It distorts how we think, it distorts how we feel, and it distorts our our, our perception of reality. What we need is somebody on the outside of that distortion to share with us, tell us, reveal to us what is real. Well, fortunately, we do have somebody. His name is Jesus. And he has revealed to us through the Bible what is true, what is real, what is not distorted. But in order to understand what is not distorted, we have to deal with the source of the distortion, which is sin. Because here's how this works. We're born in sin. It infects the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act. And eventually it leads to action. This is what we traditionally call sin. It's the action of sin. You know, the the so-called seven deadly sins. You know, gluttony, greed, sloth, envy, wrath, pride, lust. And then the list in Galatians 5 where Paul goes through the works of the flesh. We tend to think and talk about those things as sin. But the reality is those are the symptoms or the fruit of sin. The real sin is right here. This is sin. Paul says in in Romans 7, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. I know what I want to do, and I keep doing that. But I'm not supposed to do that. I know I want to do good, but I can't. I don't want to do bad, but I do. But it is no longer I who do it, but sin that lives within me. The source of this is sin. This is just a symptom. Sort of like if I have a cold, one of the symptoms may be I'm coughing. Now, that source of the cough could be a cold, it could be pneumonia, it could be lung cancer. The symptom just reveals there's a problem. Oftentimes in life, our goal is just to get rid of the symptom. Well, if I go to the doctor and I'm coughing, and I say, hey, I just want to get rid of the cough, and the doctor says, well, let's find out what the source is. I don't care about the source. I just don't want to cough anymore. Well, what if the source is lung cancer? Because the doctor at that point, if he finds out you've got lung cancer, the doctor doesn't care about your cough. She's after the cancer. Because if the cancer gets cured, the cough goes with it. We tend to focus here. God is focused here. This is what God is after. We have spiritual cancer, 
and it's manifesting in some sort of symptom, seven deadly, so-called deadly sins or the, or the list in Galatians, whatever it is, you know what it is in your life because everybody deals with it. This is, this is just the symptom. This is the problem. Now, as a non-believer, we're stuck. This is why it says those who do not know Jesus are slaves to sin because sin is at the core. You have no power to stop this process. This is the, this is the, the, the foundational aspect of the gospel. And, you know, when we evangelize the lost, we have to be careful that we don't inadvertently communicate to them a gospel of works. Meaning, clean yourself up and God will love you. Because they can't. They can't do that. Because this isn't the problem. This is the problem. Because once this is taken care of, this naturally follows. When God takes care of the cancer, the cough goes away. Okay? So how does the gospel work? Well, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of him in Christ. The goal of the gospel is what theologians call the great exchange. It's to take that sin core out and replace it with his righteousness. Now, a lot of times we tend to think in our own distorted minds that righteousness is the absence of sin. That is not true. Righteousness is the presence of Jesus. You can stop sinning and not be righteous. It's sort of like if I turn all the lights off in this room, darkness will be present. But darkness is just the absence of light. But light is not the absence of darkness. Because light has a source. In order to have light in this room, we have to have light fixtures. We have to have some sort of source that provides that light. But if I remove the source of the light, darkness is present. But when I bring the source of the light in, the darkness has to flee. The light does not struggle against the darkness. In the spiritual realm, darkness is sin. Jesus is the light. I am the way, the truth, and the light. The source of righteousness is the light of Christ. Sin is an absence of light in the spiritual sense. If there's sin in your life, there's an absence of light, meaning there's an absence of Jesus. So how does this work? The gospel, when you accept Jesus into your life, he takes that sin core out and he replaces it with his righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says we are his we are a new creation in Christ. We are partakers of the divine nature, as Peter calls it. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of God is now in our, in our spirit. That's why we become spiritually alive. You know, we talk about healing a, a lot, and, and, you know, we love the miracle of healing. The greatest miracle on earth is salvation. That right there is the greatest miracle that can occur on earth. It is bringing somebody back from the spiritual dead.
You are literally resurrected on the inside for the first time. Because, you know, if, if I get cancer and God heals me, that's great, but I'm still going to die. If my spirit is brought to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will never experience spiritual death, ever. This is the greatest miracle ever, because this will never change. Right now, if you're in Christ, your spirit has been brought to life for the very first time. You've been raised from the dead, and your spirit is 100% righteous. When Jesus comes back, he will not have to transform your spirit. It's 100% transformed right now. Everything you need to live the victorious Christian life is already in you. It's not external, it's internal. Yet, the soul of a Christian, even though your spirit is fully righteous and made alive in Christ, your soul is still infected with sin. So if I go shake somebody's hand, They've got the flu. I touch my eye and infect my body. I go wash my hands and remove the source of that, that sickness off my hands. I still have to deal with the infection. Jesus removes the source of sin, but we still have the infection in our soul. This is why as a Christian, we can still sin. The sin we traditionally call sin. This is why the symptoms are still here as a Christian, because our soul is still infected with that sin sickness. And what is sin? Sin is an absence of Jesus. It's spiritual darkness. So how do we overcome the sin? We need to increase the light. That's why, as a Christian, if I want to get rid of this, my willpower is not what I need to work on. Because willpower has no power over sin. Only Jesus has power over sin. I don't have power over sin. And the presence of sin is not a lack of willpower. It's a lack of Jesus. I'm not saying you're not saved. What I'm saying is you have not been totally renewed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are the schemes that gets us into the cycle? Okay, so we know where sin comes from. We know the source. We know the aspect of the gospel. Now let's talk about this cycle. This is what we talked about last week. How does this cycle occur? And it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Now, the, the enemy only has one playbook. You know, in football or, or some other sports, you've got a playbook that's, you know, miles long. There's a million plays. And they change the playbook all the time. The enemy has one playbook, and he uses the same plays over and over and over again. It's the same scheme. So if we learn the scheme, we can identify how it's working in our life. We identify the weakness, which becomes the key to victory. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So let's look at the scheme, first of all. So the very first interaction the enemy has with a human being is Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is the scheme, this is the play the enemy has used in all our lives too. Here's how it works. In Genesis 3, the enemy tells Eve two lies. 
One is an explicit lie. The other, other is an implicit lie. The explicit lie was, he asked, you know, did God say you should not eat of any of the tree in the garden? He goes through that whole thing. She says, no, you know, we can't eat from the, the tree in the middle of the garden, even touch it, lest we die. Then he says this. He says an explicit lie. You will not die. Now, that's explicit. Could God said you will die. But then he says something else that is an implicit lie. And I think this is more dangerous than the explicit lie. The implicit lie was, he says, for God knows in the day you eat of it, you will become like God. What does that imply? It implies that they're not like God. But in Genesis 1 and 2, it says they were already created in God's image. So he creates this lie that implies they need something external. In the case of Adam and Eve, it was the fruit. You need this to become whole. How many of us believe that lie today? I need something else to become whole. I need something else to make myself worthy. Because ultimately, the greatest lie we believe, that all of us believe to one degree or another, is I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I need to do something. I need to experience something. I need to have something external to overcome my weakness. And that's exactly what the enemy did with Adam and Eve. He told them a lie that created a false need. Now, in the case of Adam and Eve, it was the fruit. But in our case, it could be a million other things. A false need. I need something external. Now, here's the thing about the enemy. The enemy cannot make you do anything. The only thing he can do is deceive you into making a bad decision. And that's what he did with Eve. He deceived her into taking action on that false need based on a lie. And that's what she did. Reached out, grabbed the fruit, and ate. Here's the second half of this cycle. Here's the first half. The second half, once that occurs, when you reach out and grab for whatever that thing is, anytime you take action on a lie, it will always result in guilt, shame, and condemnation. Always. What happened to Adam and Eve? All of a sudden, their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they were afraid. God came looking for them. Where'd you go? Well, we knew we were naked, and we were ashamed. Who told you you were naked? Did you, not, did you eat of the tree? And you go through that whole thing. For the first time, they experience shame, and they feel condemned. Because guilt, shame, and condemnation will always reinforce the original lie you are not worthy. Then this reinforcement of the lie creates an even greater false need, which you take action on, and all of a sudden you end up in this cycle. And you're ending up living your life around the lie that you're not worthy. Now, there's a whole bunch of other lies that are mixed in that, you know, based on your circumstances and your life experience and all that. But ultimately, the lie we all believe is we're not worthy. We're not good enough. We end up in this cycle of believing the lie, taking action on a false need that comes with guilt, shame, and condemnation, 
And we just go round and round. You know, round and round she goes. Where she stops, nobody knows. And once you're in it, you can't get out of it. And that's where I was when I sat down with my sponsor at Celebrate Recovery for the first time. I didn't even know I was there. I had no clue. And he said, hey, you're living your life in a cycle. And we need to figure out why. I'm like, oh, okay. How do we do that? Said, oh, I don't know. Oh, aren't you supposed to lead this thing? He said, you know what? The Lord's going to reveal it to you. And I'm going to be here. I'll get a front row when that happens. I'm like, okay, you're the boss. And sure enough, about four months into it, the Lord revealed the why. If you want to know about that, you can watch last week. We went into all that. <laughs> but here's what I want to get to this week. So that brings us up to the cycle, okay? We know there's hope. We see hope. We see other people living a good life. We see other people living in freedom. And we think, man, there's, just, there's hope out there, but I just can't get to it. It's out there. It's not in here. And eventually what happens is we say, you know what? Either this is the lie, and we believe this is the truth, or we just say, you know what? This is the truth. I'm not worthy, so I'm not good enough for hope. And either way, we just give up. And we settle for living our life in a cycle over and over and over again. And we think, well, this is just just the way it is. You know, I see Pastor Jeff up there. Yeah, you know, but he's worthy and... I'm not. Or Billy Graham or any, you fill in the blank. So how do we get out of this cycle? Before I get to that answer, I want to ask a question. You know, one of the things that I did this week is I prayed for everybody, asking that the Lord would reveal to you your why. And I'm hoping the Lord did that for you. And if he hasn't yet, that's okay. But I want to encourage you from here on out, if you have not received an answer to why am I in this cycle, what started it, ask the Lord. He revealed it to me. He will reveal it to you. And I encourage you to seek the Lord on that because it's really important to understand that. So I hope that happened for you this week because I prayed specifically that the Lord would do that for you. And as that happens, that the Lord will bring these, these teachings back to your mind and you can walk through this more and more, over and over again. This is not a one-time deal. You've got to go through this. Uh, I, I did 10 months in the Celebrate Recovery Step Study, going through this over and over and over again. It takes a while to sink in. But, you know, for uh, 25 years of dealing with pornography to walk out of it in 10 months, I'll take that trade any day of the week, because you think 10 months, man, that's forever, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> 25 years, that's forever. It's a process. So how do we get from here to freedom? Let's turn the page and let's talk about how this happens. Now, before I talk about what the key is to get out of the cycle, I want to talk about what the key is not. Because there's a couple of mistakes we make in trying to get out of this cycle. The first mistake we make is, again, and I mentioned it earlier, we think it's an aspect of willpower. So let me start back to the original three circles. 
Got the body, the soul. Okay, and the soul, again, is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Okay? We have the gospel at the center, which means we are righteous in his sight. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the truth. That's what the Bible tells us. Okay, remember I said at the beginning of this, the Bible reveals what is true, despite our distorted perspective. God says we are his righteousness in Christ. Now, our soul is still infected by that sin sickness. And ultimately, sin is just a lie that we believe about ourselves, about others, about God, about reality, and it's that lie that we ended up taking action on. Now, first thing that the key to breaking out of this cycle is not, it is not willpower. This is not the answer. But this is the first thing we tend to go after is willpower. I just need to try harder. Come on, you can do it. Just try harder. Because here's what happens with willpower. I can drum up enough willpower to stop this for a while. But here's the problem. This is not the problem. This is the problem. So I can stop the symptom for a while, but as long as the source is there, guess what's eventually going to happen? Either this is coming back or something else. Then I drum up some more willpower... I stop that, something else pops up, something else pops up, something, and all of a sudden, oh, look at that. I'm in a cycle of just chasing symptoms my whole life. I just go from one to the other, and I just, again, I'm stuck in the cycle. Willpower has no power over sin. Willpower will not get you out of the cycle. The second thing that won't get you out of the cycle is law or religion. We love the rules and regulations. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang with those who do. Just stop it. Just don't do it. You know, we love to memorize the law and make a list and check it twice and figure out if I'm naughty or nice, all that stuff. Law does not work. Here's why. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, Paul writes this. This is a key verse. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the power, the power of sin is the law. Law gives sin its power. What? What do you mean? How can law give sin power? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7. He says, I would not have known that covetousness was wrong except the law said, do not covet. And then Sin that was within me 
took advantage of me and used what was good and caused it to become death for me. The purpose of law is to reveal the presence of sin. That's it. Law cannot stop sin. In fact, it does just the opposite. It gives it its power. So the more law I put on myself, the more rules and regulations I try to follow, I'm doing exactly the opposite of what I want to do. I'm actually giving the thing I'm trying to get rid of its power. This is why religion does not work. And one of the biggest mistakes the church in this country and in the world over the centuries has made is to turn Christianity into a bunch of rules and regulations. You want to run people into the ground? Make them follow rules. It's one of the greatest deceptions the enemy has come up with for the church. He's deceived us into empowering the very thing he knows will destroy us. He gets us to do his work. Law is the power of sin. So those two things are not the key to getting us out of the cycle. It is not willpower, and it is not law or religion. So what is the key? So you all ready for the key now? You all been ready since last week. Okay, we have to, first of all, let's look at the original cycle and how we got there, okay? This is the cycle of the the original scheme in Genesis 3. You have the lie that the enemy told Eve. That lie created the false need. It wasn't an apple, but we all say it was, whatever. Poor apple got a bad rap. That, That fruit represents the false need. That's created by the lie. The lie creates the false need. Then, the lie deceived Eve into taking action. Okay, this is the scheme. And we're all following this scheme. We believe a lie. It creates a false need. We take action on that lie to go after the false need. That false need always comes back with, or that action on the false need always comes back with guilt Shame and condemnation. There it is. That's the scheme the enemy's been using for millennia. So what's the fault? Where is the key? Where's the weakness in this scheme to break this cycle? It's not willpower, and it's not law. It's already in here. In fact, I actually kind of gave you the answer last week. I just didn't tell you it was the answer. See, Paul says in Romans 7... We're just talking about Romans 7. You know, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I can't do it. I know what I'm not supposed to do, and I can't seem to stop doing that. But it's no longer I who do it, but sin that lives within me. And then he goes into a question as we get towards the end of chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. First of all, 
obviously, you know, it's the old Sunday school answer. Jesus is the answer. It is Jesus. But how does Jesus break the cycle? Paul answers that in Romans 8, verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Here's how Jesus breaks the cycle. He removes the guilt, shame, and condemnation that reinforces the original lie. Because when there's no longer any condemnation, it no longer reinforces that lie. But we've got to believe that we're no longer condemned. Because we can be deceived into believing we're still condemned. And we believe that all the time. But the Bible says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can just write a big old Romans 8.1 over that side of the... That side of the cycle is broken because that's where the weakness is. And that's what Jesus does. He removes this side of the cycle. And I, I said I kind of revealed that secret to you last week. It's in the story of the woman caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery somehow believed a lie. She took action on the false need, which in that case was adultery. She had the entire religious system condemning her, and they threw her at Jesus' feet, waiting for him to condemn her as well. Jesus starts writing on the ground. Everybody's focused on what he's writing. Everybody walks away. He looks up and looks at the woman and says, Is there no one left to condemn you? And she says, no. And here's what Jesus says. And it's extremely important, the order in which he says it. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He did not say, go and sin no more. Then I won't condemn you. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The reason he said it in that order is because the lack of condemnation breaks the cycle which begins the process of freedom to get you out of that sin cycle. Does that mean the first time you realize you're not condemned, you're never going to sin again? No. But what it does mean is the more you recognize and reject the condemnation when you do mess up, you ask for forgiveness, you reject the condemnation, you're removing the thing that reinforces the very source of your sin. And the more you remove the reinforcement, the freer you are from this. Now, this is just step one. Because if you can get to a point where you can objectively look at your lie without feeling condemned, God can show you the truth and you can then exchange one for the other without fear and without condemnation. It's like going to the doctor. And the doctor shows you an x-ray. 
And he says, hey, I see this on the x-ray. He or she does not condemn you for what's on the x-ray. You know, if you go to the doctor and the doctor comes in and she says, your x-ray is horrible. What's wrong with you? You're a loser. You need a new doctor. Because <laughs> that's not the point of a doctor. The point of the doctor is to find what's wrong and then fix it. And provide a process of healing. Jesus is the great physician. He is going to spiritually x-ray your life. And in that process, he's going to provide a prescription for healing. Part of that prescription begins by removing the condemnation. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how God begins to break this cycle. And he's the only one who can do it. We've just got to receive it. That's the hard part. Because this, the lie that says, I'm not good enough, loves this. Here's the reality of condemnation. Okay, the ministry of condemnation, if you will. Okay? The goal of condemnation is not to, to fix your problem. You ever met somebody who's got a spirit of condemnation on them? And they just condemn somebody for, for doing something wrong, and that person changes, what do they do? They change what they're condemning them for next. Because here's the goal of condemnation. The goal of condemnation is not to fix the problem. The goal of condemnation is accusation. That's it. Condemnation is satisfied in the accusation itself. That's why you can never satisfy somebody with a condemning spirit. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, they'll always condemn you for something. Because condemnation is satisfied, is fulfilled in the accusation itself. This is what's going on in this country all over the place right now. Especially in our political system. All it is is a bunch of people with spirit of condemnation on them. All they want to do is accuse somebody. They're not looking for a fix. They're just looking for accusation. Because that's fulfilling that spirit of condemnation in them at that time. That's why condemnation will never lead to healing. And that's why Jesus breaks off condemnation. Jesus does not condemn you. He convicts you. There's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction. What's the difference? If you ever remember being back in school in math class, and I remember, you know, I'd be in math class, and I'm trying to figure out this problem, and I can't figure it out, and I keep getting the wrong answer. A good teacher does not come over and go, you're a loser. You, just, you can't figure What is wrong with you? A good teacher comes over and walks you through the problem, helps identify where you're off, where you're missing the mark, which is what 
the Greek word for sin means, to miss the mark, the teacher comes over, looks to find out where you're missing the mark, and helps you recognize she or he convicts you of your error, helps you recognize the, the error, and you go, oh, that's where I've got, and now you're excited to get the right answer. That's conviction. That's what God does. He enters into our lives. He removes the condemnation. And he says, here's where you're missing the mark. Let me show you the lie that you're believing, the part of the formula you have wrong. Let's replace that with the truth and watch how you get to the right answer. That's conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does all the time. But here's what the enemy does. The enemy comes in and he tries to deceive us into believing conviction is condemnation. And it's not. Condemnation will always drive you away from God. And anything that drives you from God is not from God. Condemnation will always lead to isolation. Always. And it always draws you back. Pulls you away. Just like that teacher who condemns you for getting the problem wrong makes you not want to do it anymore. Makes you want to quit. Makes you want to walk away. Makes you want to run and isolate yourself. Those are some of the characteristics of condemnation. How do I know if I'm under condemnation? You're feeling those things. You want to run. You want to quit. You want to isolate yourself. You continue to believe that you're a loser. Conviction's just the opposite. It draws you in. It encourages you. It shows you the lie, reveals the truth, and says, come on, you can do it. Come on. God is always pulling you forward. The enemy is always pulling you backwards. But it's up to us who we believe. Just like with Eve. Eve had a choice on who she believed. Am I going to believe the lie that the enemy told me? Or am I going to believe the truth that God told me? That's where that free will comes in. We have a choice. And in this, as a Christian, we always have a choice. Am I going to receive this? This has to be broken first before we can get to this. Because once that's gone, God can begin to reveal the lies. And there's no fear of being condemned about them. Because we all believe them. You know, you go to the doctor and you got cavities, or the dentist, you got cavities. Everybody has a cavity every now and then, so what? Let's get it fixed. Let's get it fixed. And that's what God is saying. Come on, let me fix this. I just want to fix it. I want to bring healing into your life. But condemnation has to go away first. So here's the next step. I don't have too much time to go into this step. There's a lot more to this, but I want to go a little bit into it. Because the first step is that condemnation. Once the condemnation is broken... You're now free for God to reveal the lie. And he's going to bring a spiritual x-ray into your life. 
You know, when, I, when I've had the opportunity to disciple people or mentor people, at some point, they always come to me and say, man, is this normal? Man, I just, I just feel lousy. You know, all this stuff has come to the surface. Man, that's great because God's doing a spiritual x-ray in your life. That is normal. That's why you go to the doctor to get stuff revealed. And that's what God does. But here's how it works. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here's the reality of being in the word of God. The more you get into the word, the more you realize the lie. The Bible, the word of God, is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So let's go back to our gospel circle. If I start getting Bible into me, and I start reading the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, I start getting that in. The Word of God is living and active. It's like spiritual medicine. Sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. What's the division? What's in the, so- what's in the spirit? Truth. What's in the soul? A lie. It divides between the two. And is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It begins to reveal the lie that you're believing. And God will go after him one at a time. One at a time. He'll start bringing this stuff to the surface. And if you haven't broken off condemnation, you're going to run. You're going to go, you're going to walk away from it. Because if you're still walking in condemnation, It's reinforcing the core lie, which is you're a loser. You're no good. And there's no way you're going to want to know some of the lies you believe. You're not going to be able to handle it. So you break off the condemnation. God begins to reveal the lie and says, here's the lie you're believing. Here's the truth of my word. Now you got a choice. Are you going to let go of this and grab hold of this? Because the more you do that, the truth comes out and begins to replace those lies with truth. And it begins to heal the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. And just like in this one, where we tried to use willpower to overcome that sin, where it wouldn't overcome... Right? We started chasing symptoms because we were going after the symptom. This goes after the source, and it begins to eliminate the source. And when you eliminate the source, the symptom naturally follows. If you're coughing because of lung cancer and the, and the doctor gets rid of the lung cancer, the coughing goes with it. It's a two-for-one special. And it doesn't come back as long as you stay in the word. Because what is 
sin. It is spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness is an absence of light. So how do you prevent an absence of light? By flooding yourself with light. This is the source of the light. Jesus said, I am the light. He is the word that made flesh. What word? The word of God. You want to shine some light into the darkness? Start getting in the word. Start getting in the word. It starts shining light into the darkness, and you go, whoa, what is that? You ever go clean out a closet you haven't looked at in years and go, where did this come from? God's trying to clean out some of y'all's closets. You know, somebody once said that Jesus is a terrible house guest. He doesn't stay in the guesty areas. He starts going into the closets and the medicine cabinets going, oh, what is this? Poking around. That's what he does. Because he's not content with just a room. He wants the whole house. He wants all of you. That's what discipleship is all about. In Luke, Jesus said, he who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. He wants everything. And the second you open that door, he's coming for it. He's coming for it. And he won't stop. And if you believe the lie of condemnation, you're going to think he's the one condemning you. But he's not. So after really two years of Celebrate Recovery and learning the why, learning the lie, learning that this stuff doesn't work, and then learning that God no longer condemns me, learning that the word of God is the key in abiding in him. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Today, my life is radically different than it was 10 years ago. Radically different. When I first walked in this building in October 2008, the chairs were different, but I sat right over here. I remember sneaking in the back door and sneaking back out. Don't talk to me. I won't talk to you, and everybody's going to be happy. Had no intention of doing anything. Just showed up on Sunday, go home and do my thing. But God had other plans. And he took it one step at a time. There was, I did not come to this church to be standing here today. That was not on my radar. By any stretch of the imagination. And the process that it took to get here was certainly not on my radar. Because it was not easy. But it was worth every minute. And the process of discipleship is not easy. It is hard. That's why Jesus said, wide is the road and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And many are on it. But narrow is the road and difficult is the way that leads to life and only a few find it. 
The narrow road is not Jesus himself. The narrow road is what Jesus does in your life after you've come to find him. That's the narrow road. And it's this. And a whole bunch of other stuff. There's a lot more to this. I just don't have time to go into it tonight. Because this is just the beginning of the discipleship process. So as we come to our close tonight, uh, I want to do a couple things. One, I want to give you the opportunity to make a declaration in your own life that you're going to reject condemnation. Because God has already rejected it on your behalf. But you need to do that for yourself. You need to receive the freedom of Romans 8.1. Because without that freedom, you're going to believe that the conviction that God brings is condemnation. And it's just going to reinforce that original lie. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And I want us to take a few minutes with the Lord. Now, whether the Lord has revealed the original why or not, it, it doesn't matter. Because right now what does matter is that you're willing to reject the condemnation that the enemy has been trying to put on your life. Because we all deal with it. It's all, it, that's part of the playbook. It's not unique to you. Don't let the enemy deceive you into saying that's because of you. It's your fault. No, it's not. It's his fault. He's the one who does it. And he does it to everybody. Every single one of us deal with condemnation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to give the Holy Spirit a minute to just begin to reveal to you that condemnation. Maybe it's something that occurred this week or today or something in your life where that condemnation just screams at you. And it reinforces that lie that you're not good enough. So as you do that, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a declaration. Father, in Jesus' name, right now, Father, we thank you, first of all, just for your presence. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit right now is working in each and every single person. You are speaking a personal word to every single person in this room right now. And Lord, I thank you that you're speaking a personal word to every single person watching whether it's recorded, live, whatever. Because you can do this right now, wherever you are. If you're at home, if you're watching somewhere, the Lord is speaking to you and wants to speak to you right now about the condemnation in your life. He's going to deliver you of that right now. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you, first of all, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make that declaration. And we're going to make it personal. I want you to repeat after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that right now, your word says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So right now, I am going to receive the freedom 
that your word offers. And I declare, in Jesus' name, there is no condemnation for me, for I am in Christ Jesus. And from this day forward, I reject guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I release you, Jesus, to begin to reveal the lies I believe in order to replace them with the truth of your word. And I receive that truth in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, give the Lord a hand tonight.